0: As not many people uh, here, you know, you'd think the opposite would happen since we got an extra hour of sleep, but uh, I guess everyone's time is off. So, uh, well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. Uh, we are finishing up First Timothy today. And so uh, 1 Timothy 6, we're going to look at 17 through uh, 21. Not much there, so we should have uh, maybe some extra time want to ask more questions about anything in this book. Uh, feel free to ask. Um, just to give you a heads up on what's going to happen in the next uh, couple of weeks, uh, Scott Deasing will be teaching uh, the next two Sundays in adult Sunday school. So he'll be teaching uh, through uh, First Peter uh, for the next two Sundays. And then after that, after he teaches, I'll come back and I'm going to start a new series uh, through Genesis 1 through 3, so the first three chapters of Genesis. Um, I'm really excited about it. have been doing some studying uh, for a while now already. There's lots of stuff in there. And so uh, we're going to look at creation and different views on creation and uh, covenant of works, covenant of grace, lots of good aspects of Reformed theology are in those first three chapters. And so that's the plan. So please pray for Scott uh, for next two weeks. He'll be teaching and pray for myself as well as we prepare for that. Uh, series. Well, let's start with prayer, and then we'll we'll get started. Our Father and our God, we thank you, Lord, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead on the first day of the week, and thus ushering in a new creation in him. And so we have given the church uh, this first day of the week that we might set aside our worldly cares and employments, and we might uh, focus our full attention upon your grace revealed in your gospel. And so we do pray, Father, that uh, you would give us spiritual rest, physical rest this day as we uh, hear from your word and as we uh, learn from your scriptures. Bless us uh, as we uh, close out this series in First Timothy today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, all right. First Timothy chapter 6, uh, verses 17 through 21, uh, Paul says... This part is interesting here um, because it seems almost like an afterthought, or at least it seems like that way to me somewhat. This section comes after the section that includes a lot of rich theological language that we we looked at last time. You might think about the language there in the last section that dealt with uh, God's essence, that dealt with God's sovereignty. Uh, Paul said that God is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He alone has immortality. He dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. And then he ends that section with a doxology. He says, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And so it would almost seem more appropriate to end this letter there, right? To end it right after that wonderful doxology and that great piece of uh, writing about God's essence, but Paul thinks again about earthly riches. And so he's, uh, he's, his mind goes back there. He's already talked about this. He told Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of the world. And so we should be content with the basic necessities, food and clothing. And he also warned Timothy that a desire to be rich is uh, very dangerous. And the love of money is a root of all type, all kinds of evil, and so he's already broached the the the, uh, the this the theme of earthly riches, right? And now he comes back to it. He's thinking about it again. It must be important to Paul, and it must he he must want Timothy to think about this as well. Um, Timothy. Uh, Uh, was to teach others and he himself was to understand that, again, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil and that he should not have an unhealthy desire to be rich, right? Those who desire to be rich, to have more than what they're given, fall into a snare. But this did not mean, and so there's danger there, this did not mean that being rich was a sin or is a sin. Please understand that. Maybe that's why Paul comes back to this. Being rich, having wealth, is not a sin. And so he says, as for the rich in this present age, there are members in the community, in local churches, in uh, Ephesus where Timothy was, members of the Christian community who had wealth. They had a lot of money, more money than others, and so they could be considered rich. And so being rich is not a bad thing. It is not a sin. It is the love of money that is dangerous. And so what did the wealthy members then need to hear and be reminded of here? And this is what Paul deals with. Paul refers to the days in which we live, these present present days, as this present age. And so some will be rich in this present age, meaning some will be rich for a time. Whoever is rich in the church will be rich in in an earthly sense temporarily, right, for a time. There's actually even greater riches to come, the new heavens and the new earth. But there are riches in this present age, earthly riches, but it's only in this present age. Those things will pass away along with everything else in this present age. And so the rich were not to cling to these things too tightly, right? They... Whatever earthly resources you have today is tied to this present age, and this present age is passing away. And so the lesson there is to not to hang on to those things too tightly, right? That's not all there is in life. Those are good things to have, but that's not all there is. And so Timothy was to charge the rich not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. All right, so uh, Paul tells Timothy to charge the rich with something. Now, this charge is somewhat connected to the charge that uh, Paul gave Timothy earlier. Remember, he said uh, to Timothy uh, in verse 13, he says, I charge you in the presence of God to keep the testimony uh, unstained, keep the commandment unstained and free from from reproach. And so what was that? Well, that was one public office holder, namely Paul, the apostle, charging, giving a, a, a serious commandment, a solemn commandment to another public office holder, Timothy. And what was that official charge? It was... Keep your life pure. Keep the commandment unstained. But now he charges the rich. And so it's not necessarily the exact same type of charge because the rich, all, they're not all public office holders, but he did want to get their attention, right? Because he knows the dangers of, of having wealth. And so he, he, he wants Timothy to address the rich, charge them to do this. The rich were not to trust in their riches, essentially. That is what uh, Paul is talking about here. Money in this present age, no matter how much, cannot ultimately give us eternal peace. Money cannot give us eternal peace, eternal joy, eternal happiness. It cannot forgive us of our sins. It cannot give us... um, uh, I lost my place here. It cannot give us eternal security eternal life, eternal hope, it cannot provide those things, right? Eternal peace, a hope that is unwavering, that that doesn't fade, that you can actually cling to with all of your being. Riches do not provide that. They cannot give you that. Only God can. And so that's the danger with riches. That's the danger with receiving more earthly riches. Money, I mean, some of us have may have experienced this at times in our lives. Money gives you options, right? Uh, and lots of us go through periods of time, especially when our kids are young or in school or whatever it was. You know, I went. We went through this as a family. You just literally have no money. I mean, you are scraping by. And so there's times when you have literally no not an extra penny to spend on anything outside of just the basic necessities and then you work and you get a job and you get another job and you get maybe get a promotion and the kids get older and maybe the maybe the expenses go down and your salary starts to increase whatever it is now you have options right or maybe you get a large windfall from an inheritance whatever it may be or maybe you change careers and that career is has quadrupled your salary, right? Money gives you options then, right? Options that you didn't have before. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but what begins to happen with those options is that we begin to think that the chief end of man is to glorify ourselves and to enjoy our money forever, right? Here's all these options. I don't, these are things I didn't get to do before when I had no money. Now I have money. I want to do them now. That's where true life is found. That's where the meaning of life is found, right? Now I can live like all those other people lived that uh, I know that were able to do these things. You see, you see the danger there. It begins to draw you away from the true meaning of life and what uh, life is all about. Paul describes earthly riches as an uncertainty. Do not tell the rich not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, Riches cannot, earthly riches cannot provide what God alone provides. And so we're reminded here, regardless of whether or not we have abundant wealth in this present age, God our Father always richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You cannot trust in earthly riches to give you what only God can give you. And the rich, those who have these options, are in danger of that they are more particular they're in a place where they're particularly tempted by that because they can begin to trust in their investments and their bank accounts and think this this is where i find my my real security and not in god and so um that this is a warning for the rich in the church in every age um we always need to be reminded this this is for all of us that god richly provides for us with everything uh to enjoy, and so you can see here, there's there's a balance, right? Um, don't trust in your riches, but whatever God does give you, enjoy it. He he abundantly provides it for you. Now, us, we as Christians here in this culture, in the American culture, we're I mean, even those who have the least among us have much much more than other families in other parts uh, of the world, and so. You know, being rich is kind of relative if you think about it in that way. Um, but the reminder for all of us is not to trust in these things, uh, not to covet more than we have, and definitely not to trust in what we have been given as as if that becomes our Savior, our, our our source of peace, our source of security. Um, enjoy the things that God has given you and 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 look at them, assess them, and remember, God abundantly provides for us. He richly provides for us if if we're true, if we're honest with ourselves, and we take and we stop and take an assessment of all the things we have that we don't need, right? That the Father gives to us, we'll, we'll come to the conclusion that Paul says here: He richly provides everything that we need to enjoy. I'll stop there for a second. Any questions or thoughts on that? Okay. Uh, Let's keep going. Well, what are the rich to do then? If they're not to... Yes, Tom. Yeah. So you're right, which is, is really relevant? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Exactly, yeah <laughs> yeah well, that's good, yeah, that's good, Tom, yeah, well, this is yeah, that's good, yeah, so you got the right mindset, so that's a good uh um you set a good example, yeah, so tom's um by God's grace worked hard, he's in a position to give more, and he's thinking about where where to where to put that, so that's very, very good, that's exactly what we are are to do uh and that's that's a good uh transition in the next uh, part, what are the rich to do then? Right? If they're not to set their trust in riches, not be puffed up and haughty about their riches and trust in their riches, what are they to do? He says they're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And so and this is a command for all of us, to be rich in good works. Right? That, that is the, there's, that's where true riches are found, so, uh, riches in serving, serving the church, serving others, serving our family. Uh, certainly this would be true for the poor, the rich, and everywhere in between. We are all called to do good and to be rich in good works. Um, but one particular way that the rich may do good in contrast to others, as Tom was saying, is that they are in a p- better position to do what Paul says here, to be generous and ready to share. Right? P- the poor or those who are maybe somewhere in between don't have a lot of extra Uh, money to give, resources to give. Um, They can be rich in good works. We all can. We can be abundantly rich in good works in accordance with what our giftings and our our abilities. Um, But not all of us can give, right, financially, like others can. The rich can. The rich are in a better position to be generous and ready to share. And so what the rich do in the church when they're this way, when they're generous and ready to share, they, they tell the others in the church that their riches don't define them. You see how that works? That's another danger of having riches, is that you can start to find your identity and your, how much money is in your bank account and what your salary is. Um, if you are rich and you are generous, ready to share, if you're quick to let go instead of quick to hang on to every dollar that you make then you communicate to the world, to the church, that you are not defined by those, by those riches. And that's, what, um, uh, that's a particular way in which the rich can uh, serve the church, is by being generous. As needs arise, there it is, right? It comes from God anyway. And so uh, there, there you go. And so, I mean, if you think about what the other option is for the rich, I mean, how, how sad is it to see... The rich people, I mean, I'm not just talking about rich people in the church, but the rich in the world, how sad is it to see the rich cling to every dollar they possibly can, right? Is that not just so sad to see and to, to hear about? These people that are just, I mean, mind have mind-boggling riches, and yet they want to hang on to every dollar that they make or they they still want to make even more and more and more Um, reminded of Jesus words he says what does it profit a man to gain the world yet forfeit his soul so the rich by being generous and ready to share they're reminding themselves of that principle that Jesus says there Uh, He says, by doing this, uh, being generous and ready to share, the wealthy in this age, they store up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. And so there are heavenly benefits to living humbly and always being ready to quickly let go of what we have for the sake of others. There's actually, you're making a heavenly investment. That's what Paul says here. And so if you do this, if you're generous and ready to share, then you are storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And moth, as Jesus said, moth and rust cannot destroy those treasures in heaven. It's the best investment you can possibly make. It's the only one that has a divine guarantee attached to it. You won't find another investment like that in this, in this present age. And so that's what the rich are to be after. Now one aspect of the temptation of riches is that We begin to think that being rich is truly life. That's what Paul says here. Have the rich hold on to that which is truly life. Be generous. Ready to share. Don't hold on to what you've been given. As if that is truly life. Hold on to what is truly life. Uh, and that's the deception of riches. That's, that's the temptation in riches is that you can really find life there and having all these options available to you to, you know, to, to spend and to, to travel, to experience, all these things. You know, all those things in and of themselves are not bad. We're, you know, if, if God gives that privilege to you, take it, enjoy it, but don't trust in those things. Remember, that is not where true life is found. True life is found in Christ. Eternal life is experienced and taken hold of by trusting in Christ and seeking to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Enjoy Him through our union with Christ. That is where true life is found. Where true riches are found. Knowing God through Christ. We're about to get into the section in Philippians. Uh, Not not today. uh, In the future... Next week, a couple weeks, Um, we talk something along. We talk about uh, similar things here, Um, and uh, this is. I think this is something for us as Christians, especially in this this culture, that it's we're very tempted to forget. Right? It's it's easy for us. We do have a lot of options. Most of us can do the things that a lot of people in the world cannot do. And so, this is a good reminder for. All of us. True life is found in Christ. And this requires losing our life for the sake of Christ. As Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so, for the rich in particular, the way in which, one of the ways in which they can lose their life for the sake of Christ is to do just what Paul says uh, here. To be generous. Ready to share. Right? That means that you don't spend every dollar you're given. In fact, you Save some up, as Tom has done, and um, be content with, uh, be content with uh, living below your means so that when the time comes, you are able to give. Um, I'll stop there, and we'll, we'll finish off the last couple of verses. Any thoughts or questions on that? What do you think? Yes, Carolyn. Yeah, 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 that's good, yeah, so Carolyn's been the recipient of people who are generous, ready to share, and it's, it's good to always remember those days, right, remember remember what that's like and don't become haughty like paul said you know like as if you deserve the riches you have now remember where you came from right yes jeff oh sorry jay's next absolutely yeah these 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 verses can be we have to be careful how we interpret this because because these verses can be perverted and uh they can be presented as meaning if you if you give God will give you even more he will double your your offering your he will double your gift in this life right uh, you give to get more right and that's a manipula- that's really manipulation that's um that's actually teaching selfishness and so Um, We give to give, right? We give to glorify God. We give um, uh, to please our Father, to serve Christ. Um, That is why we give, uh, not to gain something on the other side necessarily. But we do store up treasures for heaven. There is scriptural promises that we store up treasures for heaven. So uh, in a sense, we are... uh, we're going to see a return, but not just on this particular aspect, but on all the ways in which we um, serve, serve uh, Christ and serve His body. Yes, Jay. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Good, good point. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So there's a couple things you brought up. I think which are good. You talked about altruism, just kind of this general benevolence that even unbelievers are a part of, right? And the idea is uh, there is very Earthly, worldly, right? So you do have people who've made a lot of money, and maybe they give to a charity. But why, right? Why are they doing that? Well, um, for one, it's most likely a tax write-off, right? Uh, so they're saving money. Um, two, they they're praised for it. Uh, lots of rich, very wealthy people. What do they do? They 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 stamp their name on their their philanthropy philanthropic you know, activities, right? Um, uh, you know, if it's, if it's a, a, a library or a school for children or something, they're going to put their name right at the top so they, they get the glory. Um, uh, and uh, there's the other sense in which uh, yeah, they, they, there's almost this idea out there, or there is this idea out there, you know, if you give into the universe, the universe you know, will give back. If, you're, if you do positive things... <laughs> I mean, that's a pagan idea, right? And so, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't negate the, the idea that um, God does lavish abundant riches upon us, both in this age and in the age to come, right? This, this is coming from scripture. Store up treasures for yourself in heaven, right? And so there, there is a sense in which we're tapping into that e- eternal investment, if you will, uh, by doing good works, not just giving financially, but doing all the things that we're called to do. Yeah, good point. Okay, yes, Linda. So what does it mean to store up treasures for yourself in heaven? Ooh. Okay. What is yeah, good question. Good. What is, so the question is, what does it mean to store up uh, treasures uh, in heaven? Uh, yeah, so um, if you look at Jesus' words in the Gospels where... Um, that's, or that's a particular place where you can find things like that. But also here in First Timothy, right? Um, you know, he's talking about uh, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Well, what future? I think he's got in mind an eternal future there, right? So set their hopes on the heavenly things. There does seem to be... There's, you know, this is a big question... Can't answer all of it, but there does seem to be, in scriptural teaching and Jesus' words, there does seem to appear a discrepancy between what some will receive in heaven and what others will receive, right? You might think about the, the parable of the talents. Um, you might think about Jesus saying, you know, enter into the joy of your master. Well done. I've given you faith over little. I will give you Uh, authority over much, right? Uh, Now, what that actually means we're not given in the Bible, right? What I do know is that each one of us will not be dissatisfied in the least bit. We will not covet whatever our neighbor has or, you know, if if there are, you know, differences in the inheritance. Um, And so we will not covet uh, we will be fully satisfied, and that will be so fully satisfied because we will be with Christ, who is the true, the, our true riches, right? Regardless of what our life looks like in the new heavens and the new earth, you know, whether we have, you know, six mansions as a verse, seven mansions, I mean, I, there's, the scripture doesn't tell us exactly what that life looks like, um, Whatever that life looks like for each one of us, we will be fully content, fully satisfied, filled with uh, a perfect joy in Christ because Christ is there, not because of what we have necessarily, right? Well, we will inherit the earth, but we inherit the earth that will be fully filled by the Spirit of God, right? That's that's the riches we're after. And so, you know, I, I probably left you with more questions than you have. But, and so that's what scripture teaches. It appears that there's this discrepancy. What that means, no clue. Scripture doesn't give us that. But what does it mean to store up treasures in, in, in heaven? Um, obey Christ, right? Um, serve him. Uh, it keeps you focused on the age to come, on the glories of heaven, right? It It keeps you focused on living your life in such a way that you you bear fruit, but also you're planting seeds, right? Our, our lives are a mist that appears for a little while. And what do, what do we leave behind? Do we want to leave behind, behind a legacy of trying to accumulate everything that we have in this life? Or do we want to leave behind a legacy of sowing seeds in the church, serving the church, right? Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough question it is. I've, I've gotten that before. Um, um, Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's definitely supposed to motivate us. Um, and yeah, certainly um, we might need some more time to understand exactly what that means for each one of us, right? Yeah, Tom. <laughs> treasure is, there. your heart will be also, yeah, so it does, it motivates you to keep your eye on, or keep your heart set on heaven, on the glories uh, to come, uh, for sure, um, but, you know, another thing, we could look, you know, look to Christ, uh, he's, our, he's our first to, yeah, do what? Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, you know, look to Christ. Uh, you know, what, how did he live his life, right? He laid down his life for the church. Um, and now he's with his Father in glory, and so in that sense, he stored up for himself a treasure in heaven. That treasure includes the, the church, right? He served the church. He's still gathering the church, and so in some sense, I think we do that still, right? Um, we store up treasures in heaven by um, by serving the church, obeying. Uh, Obeying the commandments um, from like the Sermon on the Mount, which is where those words come, we find those words. Um, That's how we store up treasures from heaven. What those treasures actually are in a particular sense, right? You know, because we can measure that in in this age, right? Well, I know how to store up treasures for myself in this present age, but what does that actually mean in the new heavens and the new earth? We're not given a whole lot of detail there in the Bible, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, let's finish up here. Um, last thing he says uh, is, Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you, or guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Okay, so real quick, Timothy is to do two things here. He's to guard the deposit. A deposit is something that's given to, is something that is owned by someone else, and given to another to take care of, right? Um, If I gave, uh, I'll just, Andrew, sorry man, I'll just pick on Andrew, just look to you. Um, If I gave Andrew my stamp collection, right? I don't have a stamp collection, but if I gave Andrew my prize stamp collection because I'm moving or whatever, I have no place to hold it, I would ask him, can you guard my stamp collection? It's a prize possession for me. It's not his, but I've given him the, the duty to guard it and to take, to take care of it. What is the deposit that the church is to take care of? Well, it's the gospel, right? Timothy is to guard the, that deposit. And he guards it by protecting pure doctrine. And So he says, avoid irreverent babble. Avoid pagan philosophies. Avoid Jewish heresies. Avoid Gnosticism, liberalism, etc. Anything that presents itself as some kind of secret knowledge that goes above and beyond the simple truths of Holy Scripture that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Anything that goes beyond that, um, Timothy is to avoid, avoid that. And Paul ends this uh, ends this whole letter with, with a prayer and a benediction. He says, Grace be with you. All right. So we've covered a lot in this letter. Uh, we've talked about how to store up treasures in heaven. We've talked about You know, being rich and the temptations of riches and elders and deacons and all that stuff, right? Lots of stuff to think about um, and to do and to respond to. How are we to do that? Well, we do it by God's grace, right? And so consistent prayer. Grace be with you, Timothy. You are not on your own. I've given you a lot. Grace of God be with you. I'm praying for you. God is with you. The Spirit of God is with you. And that should be our mindset as well. We should be in consistent prayer for ourselves and for one another that we can carry through with these things. Yes, Tom. Okay. Has Timothy been talking to people? Are you think? Does Paul think that Timothy has been talking to people?
1: Because
0: was dabbling in that or something, talking? Yeah, but it's another thing for you to be talking to someone from the Mormon Church and actually be interested in it, yeah. Is it just a general thing that
1: don't specifically a I doing this,
0: don't I think it's probably based on what we have from the letter and other, piece, other places in Scripture that it's a more of a general warning. It, it doesn't seem to me, based on what we see in Scripture, that Timothy was actually meddling in this stuff. I, I would imagine that had Timothy been doing that, he would have given him a much sterner warning, right? Um, do what? Uh, well, uh, doesn't exist. Canon is closed, so. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so uh, um, yeah. So, yeah, so I would say the answer to that question is more of a general warning, right, for Timothy in particular. Um, Galatians maybe different story, right? They were being tempted. So, all right, well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this uh, letter to Timothy and for uh, your grace uh, with uh, the teacher and your grace with our students and um, our uh, attendees at this class throughout the course of this series. Father, we do pray that you would give us grace, be with us by your spirit, that we may heed the warnings given here in 1 Timothy and that we may abide by the commandments given to us. And we do pray for the leaders in the church in particular, for pastors and elders and deacons, that you would give them grace to, um, to abide by all, that, all the principles and the commandments and the warnings that are given in this letter. Father, we do thank you for the simple truth of the gospel that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners like us. And he has done so, and he continues to do so. And so we do pray, Father, that your grace would be with the church as we guard this good deposit, the deposit of the gospel. Father, prepare our hearts now for worship as we draw near to you in spirit and in truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.